0: There are times when you see a player tearing it up and immediately think, bet they're going to flop next year. Often we'll be way off the mark. I'll hold my hands up and say I thought Harry Kane was destined to tank after an impressive first campaign. But sometimes, after a breathtaking season, a player will fall staggeringly short the next. There's certainly a tinge of regret that comes with this, but we love these players all the same. They bring a wry smile to our faces when we imagine what could and perhaps should have been. Today on The Eleven, we present to you the very best one-season wonders.
1: Yes, oh, they're really looking forward to this episode of The Eleven. Um, I think it's a bit of a passion for mine, one-season wonders. I don't know whether it's because my side, Reading, seem to dip their toe in the Premier League pond and then spring straight back out again Um, but i think there's just something so charming about players who have their moment in the spotlight and then disappear into relative obscurity Uh, i'm sure you've got some ideas too listening from home at 11 pod on twitter that's the word and not the number Uh, we'd love to hear your suggestions as always We've gone for a slightly interesting
0: 3-4-3 formation with left and right wing backs. Tactically, it will be a bit slapdash, but I'm sure they'll they'll produce the goods on the pitch.
1: To be fair, it must have been really hard to pick a one-season wonder goalkeeper.
0: It actually really was, Ben. And I've actually taken your suggestion. <laughs> ben, you mentioned to me Eldin Yakupovic. I did. And I, I did a bit of research and honestly, what a pick. He, <laughs> he, congratulations, Ben. <laughs> Thank
1: you, mate. <laughs> Thank you. I did say it was a passion of mine.
0: <laughs> Indeed. So Eldon signed for Hull in 2012 but was a bit part player until 2016-17 when he finally got his chance. And it's that season uh, that I think was his one-season wonder. It's strange that that was his only season because in 2014-15 he had shown glimpses. He kept a clean sheet against Liverpool in the league and he made 12 saves at the Emirates in the FA Cup fifth round as they earned a 0-0 draw against Arsenal. 2016-17, in all honesty, was a dreadful season for Hull. Mike Phelan had won just three of his league games before he was sacked in January and replaced by Marco Silva, um, with survival a very, very remote possibility. As Alan McGregor had a long-term injury, two goalkeepers competed for the number one slot. Um, They were Eldon Jakubovic, of course, and David Marshall. When you compare their stats that season... It's quite staggering that Yakupovich wasn't given the full season. Eldon conceded 36 in his 22 games that season, uh, whilst David Marshall conceded 44 in 16. Eldon had five clean sheets. David Marshall had none. Um, Hull achieved six points with Marshall in goal and the other 28 with Eldon in goal. Following disastrous defeats to Sunderland Crystal Palace in their penultimate two games, Marshall came in again for the final game and they lost 7-1. So I think David Marshall really was, I mean, one of the disasters of that season. Um, mm. Whereas Eldon Jakubowicz, every time he got a chance, he was impressive. He was known for his penalty saving that season. Um, I was at St. Mary's to see the devastation of his 90th minute penalty save against <laughs> Southampton uh, to earn a priceless point in the relegation battle. Uh, a nil-nil draw there. Uh, classically exciting uh, <laughs> I think that was under Claude Puel, or at least I'd assume it was, considering it was nil-nil. He saved two penalties against Newcastle in the shootout of the FA- of the EFL Cup quarterfinals. Uh, and, of course, they lost in the semis to eventual winners Man United. Unfortunately, I just think there was just too much to do. Um, he was bought in in Marco Silva's first game. Marco Silva, I mean, th- I think the very fact that Silva's stock rose dramatically in his time with Hull City, despite their eventual relegation, shows you know what a difficult job that he had on his hands. And I think, mm-hmm. genuinely, if Joukoupovic had been in goal all season, they would have stayed up, because he was that good that season. When Hull were relegated, he stayed in the Premier League. He signed for Leicester City for two million. And now he's third choice for Leicester City. He's just made two league appearances in four years. And those two were the final two games of the 17-18 season. And he's played none since then. So we love a third-choice goalkeeper on this show. And he he is that third-choice goalkeeper now.
1: Yeah, I, I guess with Eldon Jakubovic, I mean, for once, it's it's lovely to have a, a goalkeeper on the podcast whose highlight is a nil-nil draw in the fifth round of the FA Cup. I mean, that says a lot about the quality of this side. But um, he, he showed a lot of talent, I guess, Part of the reason he's a one-season wonder is that there there appears to be a contentedness with him about being a second-choice or third-choice goalkeeper. When he had his time in the spotlight, albeit for half a season at Hull, he shone brightly. But then he retreated back into that second spot at Leicester and and fell into the shadows again. So I think some of it's of his own doing, the reason he's a one-season wonder, perhaps poor choices when it comes to next move and transfers.
0: I mean, I can't blame him for wanting to stay in the Premier League. Um, Just perhaps, you know, following discussions with his agent, he should have at least ensured that he was going to be given a chance as number one. When he went to Leicester City, Kasper Schmeichel very, very much established as number one there, and he still is today. So it's not a position you're going to make your own very easily. He should have been a first-choice goalkeeper based on the form shown that
1: season. Mm. Eldin Jakubovic in goal for the one-season wonders eleven. So three centre-backs in this 3-4-3. And on the right side, I want to put in a player who alternated between right-back and more of a central role throughout his career, Um, and that's Sebastian Schemmel. Oh, very good pick, Ben. I love that. Yeah, he was a French defender um, who signed for West Ham in the summer of 2001, uh, where he became Hammer of the Year at the end of his first season in English football. He made 35 Premier League appearances that summer, um, that season rather, and he was a huge part of the reason that the Hammers finished seventh in the table. Uh, A monster at the back, a reliable presence uh, and hugely passionate. He loved the club. In fact, he actually has the West Ham crest tattooed on his body. Um, So he he very much embodied (laughs) everything that the fans love about passionate players at West Ham United. The likes of Paolo Di Canio, Trevor Sinclair, Freddie Canute, Jermaine Defoe were all stars of that season. So perhaps the fact that such an unusual and and relatively unheard of name, Sebastian Schemmel, won that Player of the Season award um, was, was a really big shock. But I really love the way this is put in um, Kevin Darling's article that I read online. Um, So I'm going to read it word for word. He says, the biblical tale of Samson, the ancient Israelite judge who lost his phenomenal strength when his long, luscious hair was cut off, is very famous. The tale of Sebastian Schemmel, the former West Ham right back, who lost his phenomenal strength when his long, luscious hair was cut off, is less famous, but no less dramatic. The year of the Frenchman's ill-fated trip to the Barbers was 2002 and thereafter his existence would be divided into two distinct contrasting epochs. BC before the chop and AC after the chop. (laughs) Almost overnight, Schemmel was transformed from West Ham's best player into their worst. Rhoda, the man who had discovered Schemmel and nurtured him from his premiership birth, persisted with him for the first half of the season based mainly on sentiment but by december the hammers were in the relegation zone schemmel's well of goodwill had run dry he was replaced by the teenager glenn johnson for the remainder of that season Uh, and what that tale tells you um, is this bizarre turn of events where schemmel actually got a haircut at the end of that hammer of the year season returned the year after and was absolutely dreadful a really bizarre turn of events that can only be blamed on the hair, Arthur.
0: That's absolutely bizarre. i reading, actually, that he had some character issues as well. Apparently, he was described as phenomenally unstable by the Mets
1: president. So I think the warning signs were there. Yeah, certainly so. And I guess that's proven by what he's done off the back of his footballing career. He, he actually now owns a restaurant in Luxembourg which he's called Upton Park in honour of his time at West Ham. Um, He may also be remembered by Pompey fans, Sebastian Schemmel, but probably not in such a positive light. Didn't really make a big impression at Fratton Park. It was just that one season, his first in English football, where he shone Sebastian Schemmel. Very good pick, Ben. Uh,
0: Alongside him in the back three, uh, I think probably in the centre, we have a big man. We have David Wheater.
1: Oh, I love David.
0: He's a six foot five centre-back, uh, strong in the air, dominating presence at the back, particularly in 2007-2008 under Sir Gareth Southgate. Oh, sorry, Gareth Southgate. Um, <laughs> we're recording this actually on the day of the final. So we're unsure as to whether uh, it's coming home, but we're hopeful. So fingers crossed. Uh He's a Middlesbrough local lad. He was from Redcar and became known as the Redcar Rock. Uh, He starred for a very highly rated borough youth side, represented England at under 16 through under 21 level uh, and won the FA Youth Cup. His qualities at the heart of Gareth Southgate's team caught the attention of the national team. Uh, He was called up several times for um, England by Fabio Capello in 2008, uh, but never made an appearance. And such was his status at Middlesbrough, especially after that season, the 7-8 season. It played a key role in Jonathan Woodgate's subsequent sale to Tottenham. They thought, you know, we've got our defensive leader, we've got our, our man in the middle, um, and we can let a player of the quality of Jonathan Woodgate leave. Obviously, Jonathan's career didn't, didn't pan out brilliantly because mm. of injuries, but neither did David Wheater's. Um, after that initial season, he had scored four goals in that season, showing his aerial threat. Uh, Middlesbrough sadly were relegated uh, the following season, and his form plummeted. He decided uh, to stay with Borough in the Championship, where, in all honesty, he began to look a bit more at home. After two failed promotion attempts, he was given another Premier League shot with Bolton. But then he joined them in their plunge down through the leagues to League One, uh, where, again, he looked even more at home. And he's now at <laughs> Oldham in League Two, where he... I'm he is at home. Looks very at home. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not that he's played badly in any of these other seasons. I think all of these clubs would say he's a, he's a good player. In 2017, he was Bolton's player of the season. But, you know, that was League One and he was in the League One team of the season. And it was just such a drop from a player who everyone thought was going to be Borough's rock at the heart of, heart of defence and potentially an England international. And I just don't know where his form disappeared to.
1: He did drop off. Yeah, I'd, I'd put him in the camp of someone like Ryan Shawcross, who, who actually consistently played for Stoke at a high level. David Wheater, I always felt, could do very much the same. But like you say, it, it kind of fell off a cliff. And I think he was unfortunate in that the teams that he, he went to were all players that were in a steady, sorry, all teams that were in a steady decline. Uh, and that kind of matched his career somewhat. Um, but I do remember how good he was when he burst onto the scene that first season. Absolutely. Also a nice little uh, little story.
0: I enjoyed his recollections of a night out with uh, Tunchai. He said. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Tony Tunchai, that was his English name. He was some guy. Tunchai, he loved the Jack Daniels. We were in Aruba in red car and people would catch our eye and double take. Is that Stewie Downey and Tunchai? We'd go back to our house and Tunney would finish off his JD. He had a mate who used to drive him everywhere. That was a cracking time. It was good fun. So Tony. you know, yeah, Tunny. <laughs> he loves his nights out. Um, he was clearly very, very popular at Middlesbrough. I'd be interested actually to hear uh what borough fans think about him, why he he couldn't quite sustain that level
1: and didn't really turn into that that player we all thought he might have been. At 11 pod, Borough fans, great to hear from you on that one. Uh, Making up our our back three, uh, I wanted to cover a team during this episode as well that had been a one-season wonder, not just a player. Um, And I wanted to talk about Deportivo Alevs, a team from Spain. Uh, They are in La Liga at the moment, but they just had this one particular year in the spotlight and that seemed to coincide um, with the one season of, of prolific performance from this player, Dan Egan. OK, that, that again, Ben, you, you keep on bringing up names that ring a bell, but I know nothing about them. Yeah, so uh, one of the reasons that Dan Egan might ring a bell is he did score a goal in the 1998 World Cup um, uh. in a 2 old draw. He scored a header for Norway. He was a six foot four towering center half with a mop of distinctive curly hair. He started his career in Scandinavia at a side called Reddy in Norway, um, which is a great name. Uh, He also played for Brondby before Celta Vigo, Alev, um, Rangers and Le Mans. So again, he might spring to mind with that Rangers link, although he actually never played during his time at Ibrox. Um, It was 2000-2001 when Deportivo Alev had their one year in the spotlight. This was um, the only season outside of Scandinavia where Egan had played 90 minutes 20 times. So pretty much every single season he played outside of his his, uh, Scandinavian roots. He'd been a bit part player. He'd struggled with injury. um, But thankfully, he started to um, pull together a few performances across this season Uh, He played 30 matches in total, including 12 in the UEFA Cup uh, and Deportivo Alev reached the final. Um, They'd knock out Inter Milan and Kaiserslautern on the way and then play out an unbelievable 5-4 final against Liverpool. Uh, Deportivo Alev were the the minnows. They fought back from 3-1 down to draw 4 all It was a crazy game. And the Alev manager, Mane, praised his players despite their loss. He said, Dortmund has seen a great final uh, and it was possibly the smallest team in the competition that made it great. Uh, This was their year, 2000-2001, Deportivo Alev. Unfortunately, the final didn't go to plan for Egan. Uh, he did start, but he was subbed off after just 22 minutes for an attacking player with Alev 2-0 down. Uh, both goals were somewhat attributed to his mistakes. and um, So that was an uncharacteristic blot in his copybook over that year. Uh, and it would actually be the final game that Egan would play for Alev. Uh, he would say he actually got a knee injury in a match against Real Madrid Uh, he'd struggle with that and he wouldn't play another competitive game until 2003-2004. So I suppose this is a definition of one season wonder which is slightly different from the norm in the sense that with Egan it's not that he necessarily shone during this season but he was part of a very special year for a specific club and really this was the only year in his career that was noteworthy because of his struggles with injuries and and a lack of form. I think
0: that's a really good pick, Ben. And actually, in my research, it's funny because I had considered a teammate of his, Javi Moreno, uh, who was their striker that season, who scored two goals in that final against Liverpool, had 22 goals that season and managed to get a move to AC Milan. So clearly... Clubs were recognising that enormous overachievement, and perhaps, in all honesty, they should have they should have tapped up the manager. Uh, I think that yeah. was probably the source of their success.
1: Well, Mane, as he was known, shares the name Sadio. with the uh, yeah shares the name with Sadio. Of course, he's a massive fan of heavy metal music. By the way, Dan Egan. Uh, he's appeared on satiricons, behind-the-scenes DVD Roadkill Extravaganza uh, and even joined the heavy metal band Pantera on stage on a video that you can see on YouTube. So if you're interested in heavy metal music, then he's one to research.
2: We're going to be whipping oh, awkward for the goalkeeper, forced in by Eggen.
0: So I wanted to give you a little insight into quite how weird I am. I was having a nice discussion with a mate down in the pub the other day, and we were discussing the components of what might make a very good dog 11. (laughs) How has this
1: made it onto the show, Arthur?
0: I'm just not quite sure. I mentioned it to you, Ben, and we both thought it would be a bit of a weird, but maybe
1: interesting little segue on the show today (laughs) well i think i think you're right because phrases to do with dogs regularly find their way into the football narrative don't they you know nipping at the heels a bulldog like approach so it feels like there's something we could learn about this fellow species of ours that could we could apply to future 11 episodes in terms of tactics am i over egging this
0: no, I couldn't agree more, Ben. Uh, mm. And that's why I think we should run through our dog 11. Perhaps yeah. a few suggestions for for various key positions. Yeah. Um, to start off in goal, I thought I'd share with you actually quite a nice little story. Purin, a, a beagle uh, from Japan in 2015, set the Guinness World Record for most balls caught in one minute. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to play you a little clip from a report just so you can see quite how exceptional a beagle Pürin is. Legendary Manchester United goalkeeper Peter Schmeichel was known as the Great Dane. Pürin from Japan is hoping to prove that beagles are pretty nifty between the sticks as well. Pürin is looking to set the Guinness World Record for most balls caught in one minute. A solid start so far, showing a safe set of paws. This youngster certainly isn't barking up the wrong tree. And there's the record, 14 in one minute. With Purin looking to become the latest dog superstar, alongside the likes of John Terrier, Paul Pugba and Lucas Poodleski, owner Makoto Kumagai knows how to unearth raw football talent. I just think she's an absolute genius and would be a calming presence at the back. Um, I just, I, I urge you to check out the full report because you can see uh, some, some clips of Purin strutting her stuff. Uh, I just think couldn't think of a better goalkeeper I thought it was centre-back perhaps a St Bernard uh, quite a sort of big big yeah. dog um, mm. I also feel the cask that they traditionally carry around their neck that could uh, tidily conceal some sort of performance-enhancing steroids for the team to take advantage yeah. of
1: you've really um, thought a lot about this haven't you well I, I just got, I
0: can't can't get these these dogs out of my mind you know, yeah it's, uh, it is what it is Ben <laughs>
1: yeah no i'm kind of with you i i actually had a shih tzu um very nice. at center back as well i I kind of feel like we need a a ball player and um i was around a friend's house once and they had a shih tzu and he he played with his ball the whole time so um i think a shih tzu should be there okay
0: very good um Moving on to the centre of the park, perhaps. Um, I mean, the the typical choice would be a pit bull. Um, yeah, yeah. Want some some bite in the tackle. The, the kind of perhaps the Arturo Vidal of the team. Um, someone who, you know, is, is never going to let the opposition have a minute. Is always yeah. going to be
1: aggressive and and perhaps the leader in the centre of the park. Mm. I, I agree with you, but I I think if you're going to go with that pit bull in the center midfield, you need a little bit of flair alongside them to to add the creativity. So maybe like a Bichon Freeze or something. Yeah. Love that.
0: Yeah. They're known for their they're known for their ability with the ball at their feet.
1: Generally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe
0: left and right. Uh do you want some pace merchants? Do you want the sort of greyhounds, the whippets? Uh, that's a really good you know, shout. Yeah. I mean they they could chase long balls over the top. Just give our give our dog eleven some sort of outlet.
1: Yeah, I I really like that, actually. Uh, And I would say maybe a Dalmatian, Um, something different. I think you can afford to throw a Dalmatian in there. And there's only 101. And I feel like wingers are prized possessions these days. So um, perhaps a Dalmatian on one wing, a Whippets on the other. Yeah, absolutely love that. Really love
0: that. Up front, you you could perhaps go for a little and large formation. We've we've seen it work with the likes of Spurs, with Crouch and Defoe and... And in my Crouch and Defoe, I would go for Irish Wolfhound and Jack Russell.
1: Yeah, Jack Russell. Jack Russell's definitely one of those players, isn't he, that's kind of come through the Sunderland Youth Academy um, <laughs> and has just been banging on the manager's door um, the whole time. He's like a dog Absolutely. with a bone, like quite literally.
0: I see a Jack Russell as the the, the Paul dick of the dog world. Um, I do
1: too. Yeah. Small
0: but an absolute menace, just, yeah. just never giving the opposition
1: time, you know? I, I completely agree. I would like to throw in um, a Doberman up front. Okay. Um, I think because in my mind, and maybe it's just my slightly crazy mind, but Patrick Doberman sounds like a sort of 50 goal striker uh, in the like German third division. Yeah, And um, the sort that might crop up at, at Tranmere Rovers in his sort of early 30s. I,
0: I think Doberman would be a plunderer of goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think this dog 11 is looking pretty, pretty strong. Um, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps we could we could pit them off against our uh, one season wonders 11 and see who'd win.
1: Yeah, I think I think we could do. I mean, um, you know, there was talk. If people have enjoyed this feature, that's fantastic. Do get in touch with us on At 11 Pod and you can tell us which which dogs you felt should be in, in here. I should tell you that there was one point where this was going to be a whole episode. <laughs> so if you didn't like the feature, I would just suggest that you you take it as five minutes of your life that you, you won't get back and we'll quickly move on to the one season wonders in the midfield. What do we think, Arthur? I think that's probably advisable. Okay, so 3-4-3 three, three. Um, I suppose we've got wingers that double up as fullbacks, and you've picked the left wing back
0: I have indeed I've gone for a player who had pretty enormous potential known primarily for once being considered as valuable as Clarence Seydorf he was the great Italian hope as the next Maldini mm. uh, it's Francesco Cocco
1: yeah. yeah yeah great shout love that
0: Basically, the story with Clarence Seydorf goes as far as in the summer of 2002, Inter called up City rivals AC Milan uh, and agreed to trade Seydorf, their skillful Dutch playmaker, for Coco. No money, simply an exchange between two bodies no longer needed at their respective teams. Mm. It wasn't even a washed up. Clarence Seydorff. He was 26 years old. He joined Inter from Real Madrid for over 20 million two years prior. But while Seydorf became a legend for AC Milan, Coco all but disappeared. And I just think it that 20 million or equivalent valuation of him shows just quite how highly rated he was. It was the 2000-2001 campaign when he truly came to prominence. He clocked up more league minutes for Milan than anyone in the team, apart from Shevchenko and Maldini. Coco's style was unusual. He was a right footed player playing at left back. Um, he was adept in attack and defense, capable of delivering in swinging or out swinging crosses from the left. Usually, he slightly unusually wore squad number 77, um, which mm. perhaps kick started the trend of random numbers. In October 2000, he made his debut for the international team. Things were going brilliantly for him. Then he fell out with his manager, Fatih Tarim, um, and went on loan to Barcelona. And he had mixed fortunes there before the big move to Inter Milan. Although Coco's Inter career got off to a good start, they recorded seven wins of their first eight matches. Things went pretty awry by November. Three games without a win saw him dropped for Giovanni Pasquale and the left-back slot would prove hard to reclaim. Uh, to make matters worse, the European Championship qualifier against Azerbaijan in 2002 would end up being Coco's last ever international appearance at the age of just 25. I think his decline could be attributed to a lack of focus and very much an enjoyment of life off the pitch. He told... Uh, Virgilio in 2001, Naturally Women Among My Thoughts, Latin American Dances. That was his favourite thing.
2: Wow. Um
1: <laughs> That's specific.
0: Yeah, very specific. Um, around the same time, Forza Milan asked the Defender about the last CD he'd bought, uh, and his answer was She Bangs by Ricky Martin. <laughs> well,
1: what a song it is.
0: He said, I think it's fantastic. Um, he's not wrong indeed his subsequent slide in form uh, meant that game time was rare at inter Um, so he went on loan to Livorno and Torino his stock was still reasonably high I mean people saw there was a talent once uh, and so Man City gave him a trial in January 2007 uh, but the deal was called off when the Italian was found to be smoking a cigarette before training Mm. Um, he was on the Italian version of Celebrity Love Island, but he lasted only four weeks before leaving voluntarily. So I think this is a man who just lacks the focus on the pitch, Um, enormous talent that couldn't live up to it. And I think that one season wonder was 2000, 2001, when he was seen as the next big
1: hope for Italian football. That's a great pick. Yeah, someone who peaked far too soon, uh, Francesco Corco. So um, a great left wing back slash left midfielder for our eleven. Now, on the other side, a sort of right wing back bombing on um, someone from Premier League history, a name I'm sure you'll know, Arthur. Uh, He represented slightly peculiarly uh, both France and Guadeloupe at international level. Pascal Chimbonda.
0: Oh, what a player. A Wigan and Spurs legend.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a player who wore gloves all year round, regardless of how sunny it was. Um, That's how I remember Pascal. Uh, He moved to the Premier League uh, in 2005 when he signed for Wigan Athletic. Uh, It was their first ever season in the top flight. Uh, He played so far in his career for Le Havre and Bastia. Um, And his first season at Wigan was tremendous. In fact, it was so good It earned him a place in the Premier League Team of the Year. Um, Very, very unusual, as you know, for players outside of the big top six clubs to work their way into the Team of the Year. So for Chimbonda in his first season in English football to do so um, was pretty impressive. However, uh, on the last day of the 2005-2006 season, he handed in a transfer request literally after the match in the dressing room. And this went down like a sack of spuds with the Wigan administration. They found it disrespectful uh, and sort of somewhat turned on him and tried to get him out the door. His form in 2006 was good enough to get him into the French World Cup squad, although he didn't actually play in that tournament. Uh, and subsequently, he joined Tottenham for £4.5 million, followed by spells at Blackburn, Sunderland and QPR. But he never reached the dizzy heights of that first year in the Premier League and became a bit of a liability and a hothead. Even at the high point of his time at Spurs, which was a League Cup final win, uh, that proved amusingly inglorious. Uh, he was subbed off uh, with half an hour to play, stormed down the tunnel, uh, but then sheepishly came back to the field for the post-match revelry. Um, so his attitude was, was starting to get the better of him. He ended his career um, playing for Washington, uh, an English side in fact, uh, and Ashton Town. Uh, so he was one of these players a little bit like Julio Arca, who kind of worked his way down into the lower leagues of football more for the love of the game. Um, but it seems even playing at such a kind of honest uh, and inglorious level uh, didn't really improve his temper. Uh, a Washington match report said this. Whitley scored a goal that Chimbonda believes should have been disallowed for offside. His protest to the officials earned him a booking. The red mist descended and Chimbonda wouldn't let it go. The rant that followed earned him a straight red card. It can only be called a moment of madness. I think, frankly, to enter the lower leagues
0: and play for the likes of Washington, I mean, it doesn't really seem like it's something befitting of his character. Someone who would play a season in the Premier League for for Wigan and then hand in a transfer request immediately. Um, Seems like someone who puts money above everything. Um, And obviously, I'm assuming the likes of Washington are hardly paying him, if at all. So very much for the love of the game. And that did surprise me. But I remember him being a very, very effective presence down the right hand side, as you say, bombing on. Uh, He was a very, very important cog in that Wigan team. Uh, And I guess when you have such a uh, triumphant first season, it's, it's often quite hard to emulate that.
1: Yeah, that's certainly what Pascal found. Um, And I think it'd be interesting, actually, to know from Wigan fans whether they now look back at Chimbonda and see him as one of the stars of the best time in their history, really, as a football club, because obviously there was some bad blood after the whole contract situation. But perhaps at Wigan's peak, Chimbonda was the main man. Sadly, like everyone in this team, it went downhill from there. Centre midfield...
0: This is a player who has frustrated many throughout his career. Um, a player of undoubted potential, but only delivered in one season, really. It's Adel Terapt.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Good shout.
0: And it's actually, despite quite a few opportunities in the Premier League, his 2010-11 season in the Championship, that in my mind was his one-season wonder, and certainly in the mind of... Of QPR fans who remember that as an absolutely unbelievable season. 19 goals from attacking midfield, almost half of his 41 career goals and 21 assists. That's an absolutely phenomenal contribution of 40 goals in a season. He mesmerised defences with his skill and abundance. Uh, He helped QPR finish top of the league and was duly named the Football League Player of the Year for his efforts, and was also voted in the Championship's PFA Team of the Year. He simply was too quick and too skillful and too strong to be contained. Neil Warnock said of that season, I built a team at his will. I've never done that, and I never did it again. I had a feeling that it would be him who would lead us to the Premier League. He does wonders with the ball. I've never seen anyone with such skill. I think video footage of, of highlights of that season on YouTube are just phenomenal. Rainbow flicks, stepovers. He just looked like a man against boys in every mm. clip. Just an amazing player, but he couldn't translate that to the Premier League. Um, two goals and five assists in 27 games in the Prem the following season. I just felt perhaps he proved himself and he didn't. he didn't really feel like he needed to prove himself in the Premier League. He just had that kind of kind of arrogance and and um a bit of an attitude. So I think Harry Redknapp tried to to bring him back into the fold in 2014 but he then said I can't protect people who don't want to run and train and are about three stone overweight. Tarab is not injured. He's not fit. He's not fit to play football unfortunately. So again, that work ethic and the the lack thereof he had a huge talent at a young age. He was signed from uh, Lens in France for Spurs uh, and he made his debut as a sub for Pascal Chimbonda, interestingly. <laughs> he failed to really make the grade at Spurs and so he had that move to, to QPR and we, we saw how that ended up. He's now playing for Benfica in a much-changed defensive midfield role, which mm-hmm. is interesting um, and obviously not scoring those goals anymore. Um, but seems much more disciplined and hopefully he's coming back to some semblance of form. Uh, I know in, in 2019, he played against Arsenal in the Europa League and people were pretty impressed with the fact
1: that he had completely transformed himself into a different player. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Tarab's live a couple of times in that that one season wonder that you refer to and he was just magical um, the things he could do with the football, he he literally was a, a puppeteer for opposition defences. Um, he had all the skills. Um, he was the sort of player that people just stood off and let him do what he did because it was almost impossible to stop him. We saw that glimmer of potential. And I've absolutely no doubt that that wasn't just because he was playing in the championship and that he could have done that at Premier League level. But I think he was held back by attitude an attitude towards his fitness and a belief that he was too good to be at QPR during that time. So Adel Taarabt, by all accounts, a one-season wonder, but man, it was great to see that season. Sitting behind him in that defensive midfield slot, who have we got? I want to take us back to the 90s and Stefan Schwartz. Okay. <laughs> So Stefan Schwarz, he was um, he was a rugged, stocky Swedish centre midfielder, um, tigerish in the tackle, courageous, and 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 a great workhorse really. Um, and his passing was precise rather than penetrative. He played things safe. Um, so I think he he probably would have been very effective in in the modern game. And he had a remarkable fringe. If you look back at photos of uh, Stefan Schwarz, he was a classic '90s Scandinavian footballer, really. Uh, He became a regular for Benfica uh, in the early part of the 90s. So he had a decent reputation. But really, when I say one season wonder, it was in the Premier League that he was a one season wonder because he just spent one season at Arsenal. It was in 1994. uh, And with them, he would reach the final um, of the 1995 UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. He did quite well but it was a turbulent season for Arsenal. They finished a disappointing 12th place in the Premier League, but Schwartz was one of the bright lights of that that season um, and and really stood out as being a bit of a success story of it. He brought much-needed guile to an otherwise fairly drab-looking side. Uh, His finest moment coming against Sampdoria in the second leg of the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final. He scored a late goal from a free kick as it looked like the Gunners were heading out. But at the end of the season, um, it, it felt to Schwarz like he was starting to get pushed out of the side. Um, and so he decided to bring an end to his time at Arsenal, moving on to play for Fiorentina uh, and Valencia. We did get to see him once more uh, in England. He, he moved for four million uh, to Sunderland later in his career. That was sort of the early noughties. Um, So, towards the twilight of his career, and he did okay for them, but certainly he didn't shine as brightly as he did that one year at Arsenal. Um, There's an interesting story about the move to Sunderland. He always dreamt of being an astronaut, so much so that when Schwartz signed for Sunderland in 1999, his new club felt obliged to contractually prevent him. From becoming an astronaut for the duration of his time playing there (laughs) at this point in history commercial space travel was starting to look like a viable holiday option obviously it didn't prove successful uh, and it was thought that the super rich would be you know going up to the moon within within years and with companies taking bookings from as early as 2002 after one of Schwartz's advisors managed to secure a place on one of these trips, the floppy haired midfielder found himself very interested in the move. So, when Sunderland chief executive John Fickling caught wind of it, he decided to put a space clause into Schwartz's contract, stating very clearly there will be no space travel during your time at the Black Cats. <laughs> He would be relegated with Sunderland as his career due to a close. And of course, he hasn't yet been up to space, but there is still time. I think he's probably in his kind of 50s now, Stefan Schwartz. So give it another 10 or 20 years, Stefan, and you might be up there.
0: Yeah, I'm devastated for Stefan. If that's his dream. And despite the many millions football can, can make for you, he still can't achieve it. So we... We need to uh, to cheer on Richard Branson and Virgin Galactica and hopefully that that gets moving quickly because it's uh, not getting any younger, Stefan. But that's an interesting story. I didn't really realise his season at Arsenal was quite so successful. And for a player to take the preemptive decision of, you know, you're being pushed out, it's time to move on, is, is pretty mature for him to do that rather than yeah. just letting the club you know, let him let him disappear. So he probably realised that a football career isn't the longest thing, and uh, and a, and a yeah. year spent in the in the youth or the reserve teams can can really take it out of you.
1: Yeah, I would liken it in some way to what Smith Rowe has done at Arsenal this season, in the sense that Arsenal have had a very poor year, but what it has done is allowed. Perhaps some of the lesser players in the squad to shine. Um, and in that same way, Stefan Schwartz had an impact on Arsenal football club that perhaps he wouldn't have done had they have been challenging for the title. And that was his one season wonder.
0: that tricks have come out now. Oh, brilliant through the legs of Alan. Is there a finish?
2: He has
0: been to von Rangers, not just today, but all season. Okay, up front, I have a Wolfsburg legend. I've gone for Graffiti.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that year. He was all over the headlines. and then He what? really was. Uh, and then nothing.
0: Um, <laughs> he started his career in Brazil before a slightly bizarre goalless stint in South Korea. But he discovered the art of goal-scoring back in Brazil, um, so he got his big move to Europe with Le Mans. For some reason, a fairly unremarkable 17 goals across three seasons earned him a big move to Wolfsburg. Of all the coaches he could have been lumped with, Graffite must thank his lucky stars every day that his 2007 arrival at Wolfsburg saw him meet Felix Magat, for the first time. And that's because Graffite was a talented striker, without doubt, but he wasn't a workhorse. And Felix Magat was known for being a strict disciplinarian. He was known especially for Mount Magat, which was a hill he liked to install at each of his side's training grounds. Uh, And that hill actually caused his new signing to pass out during a particularly taxing pre-season run in the Swiss Alps. After a promising first season together, uh, Graffiti had 11 goals. N- nobody could have anticipated the sequel. Wolfsburg won their first ever German top flight title, and they did it incredibly stylishly. Graffiti was up front, and he was very much front and center uh, as the Bundesliga's top goalscorer with an absolutely obscene 28 goals. Wow. Um, he formed a record breaking strike force, incidentally, a strike force in German. I actually love the term. It's Sturm Duo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. So the strike force he formed was with Edin Dzeko. They scored 54 goals combined that season. He was the league's top scorer and one German player of the year. And that 54 goals actually is the highest ever by a German strike duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it exceeded Gerd Müller and Uli Hoeneß, um, their record of 53 goals. One of the goals in Wolfsburg's 5-1 victory against against Bayern Munich uh, was exceptional. He dribbled past several defenders uh, and then finished with a, a fairly slow shot with his heel. And it brought him international recognition. In Germany, it was voted Goal of the Year and mm. it came third in the first ever Pushkas Award. Sadly, though, it all fell slightly apart for Wolfsburg. Felix Magap took advantage of an early exit clause in his contract. So he left for Schalke and with him the control he exercised over the club was gone. While Graffite added to his list of extraordinary achievements by scoring a hat-trick in the Champions League on debut, a rudderless Wolfsburg slipped to eighth. Um, he went back to his path of the course. He scored 11 goals um, the following season and then eight the season afterwards. Uh, growing old and slightly dogged by knee injuries... He, struggled, he just really struggled to reproduce that one incredible season uh, and he duly departed for Al-Ali in the UAE. He was battling, incidentally, with Asamoa Gyan uh, in the goal-scoring uh, stakes and he actually did achieve top goal-scorer, albeit at a much, much lower level. So really that one incredible season with Wolfsburg stands kind of front and centre on a fairly unremarkable career.
1: Yeah, Graffite, I remember that goal. It was a fantastic dribble. And, and interesting that Felix Magath played such a big part in his one season. I mean, obviously a bit of a flop at Fulham, Felix Magath, famously telling Breda Hangeland to put cheese on his injured knee to heal it. Um, an absolute nutcase, but clearly that's just what Graffite needed. He deserves a place uh, and I think he'll get along well with uh, a fellow striker um, that's in this eleven. That's Benjani Mawarawari. Excellent pronunciation of that surname, Ben. Well done. Yeah, rarely used that that (laughs) second name. Benjani, of course. um, Perhaps the most successful Zimbabwean footballer in Premier League history. And it was just so fantastic to watch him play. He was a special player, but he also played with such a smile. Uh, You couldn't help but like Benjani. I know you're a Southampton fan, Arthur. Did you hate Benjani? No I could again I couldn't
0: help but like him he was a a character up front and and a natural goal scorer in perhaps the the season you're going to mention.
1: Yeah I mean he he was a a really likable character. Uh, he moved to Portsmouth from Auxair, uh in 2006. Interestingly after Arsene Wenger recommended him to Harry Redknapp um Arsene Wenger was keeping tabs on players out in France and obviously felt Benjani needed a break. He failed to score in his first 14 games for the club, um, but became a bit of a fan favourite because of his high work rate and his unselfishness. He was known for creating wonderful opportunities, but passing to one of his teammates to get the glory. Um, And people just loved the fact that he seemed to enjoy being at Portsmouth. He finally got his first goal against Wigan, uh, in April 2006, uh, and that saw Portsmouth avoid relegation from the Premier League. But it was the first half of the following season where Benjani found his shooting boots. He hit the ground running with a hat-trick against Reading. Uh, that was one of two that, that particular season, and he actually ended up earning uh, a move to Man City in the January. He'd already scored 12 goals by this point, uh, and he moved to, to City for a wage of £50,000 a week, where he would add another three to his tally. <laughs> Unfortunately... For Benjani, really, he was a victim of his own success. He wanted to stay at Portsmouth with with Harry Redknapp, but such was the offer from City that it was one they couldn't refuse. And as Redknapp has told a number of times, he did have to literally force Benjani to take a flight to Manchester and seal the move. <laughs> There's a quote here in his own inevitable, wonderful way, and we all love Benjani so much. He fell asleep at the airport and missed two planes. You couldn't write the script. The next plane at seven o'clock got cancelled, and the 8:30 were just delayed. It made the whole thing a fiasco. We just had to get Benjani on that flight and up to Manchester. So he did obviously sign. He got a few goals for City, including one in the Derby, but really. Faults in his game started to show and things never turned out the way he would have liked. He was displaced in the City starting lineup, and that really was the end of Benjani's impact on the Premier League. So a half-season wonder in many ways, but it was the 2006-2007 season. That stands out. He would uh, apparently become a, cro- uh, a coach, sorry, at Evercreech Rovers in the Mid Somerset League Division One, which is the fifteenth tier of English football. So I presume he's still living in the UK.
0: Wow, that's w- what a coup for them. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. He was. Um, I, I just remember him being a really, a really good striker. And actually, during that period of time, I think Man City um, signed a few. Interesting kind of mid-table strikers who they expected uh, to reproduce their form uh, on the on the bigger stage. Um, You know names such as Wilfred Bonney and Rocky Santa Cruz spring to mind. And obviously Benjani, you know, couldn't quite reproduce that form. Perhaps it was just the perfect atmosphere for him to succeed in. And as you say, he didn't really want to go to Man City, but Portsmouth couldn't turn down that kind of money.
1: The final of our three strikers is up for grabs. So uh, this is up to you guys, really. It's a vote over on Twitter at 11pod. That's the word, not the number to contribute. Uh, we've got a couple of nominations coming in from uh, friends of the show. So this is pretty exciting. We have a submission from Jim Keoghan. Um, He's a massive football fan, but he's also an author and he's written the fantastic book. Is it just me or is modern football shit? So please do check that out on Amazon. Sounds like a right laugh. Uh, This is what he had to say for the one-season wonder striker position.
2: Rocky Santa Cruz, is there a better example of a one-season wonder in the Premier League? He arrived at Blackburn Rovers in 2007 after several trophy-laden and fairly unprolific seasons at Bayern Munich. Coming on as a sub on his debut against Borre, he scored with his third touch of the ball, setting the tone for a barnstorming season during which he would end the campaign with 19 league goals. Big things were expected, which is why recently moneyed Man City came calling. He bought him for £17.5 in 2009. And that was when Rocky returned to long-term trends, barely scoring for City, before being shunted out on loan, back at Blackburn, no goals. And then Real Betis. Over his career, he wasn't a great scorer of goals, apart from that one season at Blackburn, at the end... When he returned to his native Paraguay and refarm has scored in touch.
1: Yeah, Roque Santa Cruz. You mentioned him just now, Arthur. He was a flop in that second season, wasn't he?
0: He really was. It's a phenomenal season that first year. And just clearly, it was just the new season, new country bounce, um, and
1: he couldn't reproduce it. Good pick. And secondly, uh, a submission by Simon Dewhurst. Simon, I wonder which striker he's gone for. One season wonders. Well, what about Amizaki, the big Egyptian up front? He had a glorious season for Wigan. Went off to Hull on loan, and never heard of him again. Uh, there we go. Um, yeah, I, I remember Amizaki flying onto the scene. He he scored an absolute ton for Wigan that year, didn't he?
0: He really did. But it was it was really the first half of the season as well. He just. I think he had an awful attitude. So I just remember he had an extraordinary start to the season and took all of us fantasy football Premier League managers yeah. by storm. Uh, he had to be subbed in. And and then he just faded. And I think it was a bad attitude. I remember him being away on international duty and coming back late, I think probably three or four times. And I think the Wigan manager at the time, Steve Bruce, was just dismayed by his lack of professionalism. So, yeah, attitude problems again, but an excellent pick from Simon, who sounds like he's having a great time in the pub.
1: Nice. Uh, Yeah, he does. (laughs) I wish we could be there too, Simon. Um, Okay, great. So that's Roque Santa Cruz, Amazaki. Arthur, you're going to throw a name into the hat?
0: I am indeed. I've decided to go for perhaps the obvious pick, but no One Season Wonders 11 would be complete without Michu
1: Oh, yeah, of course. He did have that spell up front, didn't he, for Swansea? He,
0: he did. It has to be the first name everyone thinks of in this category. He began his career with Oviedo in 2003 and went on to play for Celta Vigo and Rayo Vallecano, uh, where he caught the eye of Swansea with 15 goals and 37 matches, but those were from midfield. So he was signed for just two million pounds um, A great signing, as an attacking midfielder, but... Michael Laudrup managed to convert him to a striker. On his Premier League debut against QPR, he scored two goals as the Swans won 5-0, a huge victory for them uh, that set the tone for that very successful season. He went on to score 18 league goals in his debut season uh, with his iconic sort of shaking his hands next to his ears celebration Mm. uh, becoming fairly renowned. Ben, have you ever tried to replicate that on a a five-a-side football pitch?
1: I've never scored Arthur so I've never really had the opportunity. <laughs> Fair um, play. Yeah I uh, mean it was particularly impressive to, to get that sort of haul playing for a Swansea side that had only recently got promoted.
0: And it was across all competitions as well because he scored 22 goals uh, in all competitions that season uh, including uh, goals in the semi-final and final of the League Cup in 2012-13 uh, which Swansea won uh, and it's probably their most prestigious title in their history. Michu was named team and supporters player of the season that year. So that success in his first season with Swansea made him a Spain call-up for a friendly match against Belarus in October 2013. Obviously, that was an enormous joy for Michu, um, but sadly, it remains his one cap for Spain. But then that returned to reality. He'd signed... Uh, A new four-year deal in January, which was very exciting for him, but he then followed up that amazing season with only two goals in 17 the following season. He went out on loan to Napoli the next year, but injury meant he only played six competitive matches for the Italians. uh, And having not featured for Swansea since April 2014, he was just released in November 2015 uh, through a financial settlement. He signed for a Spanish amateur side, Uh, still at the only uh, only at the age of 29 and saw out his career in the in the lower levels Uh, and I think he retired only 30 uh, or 31 I didn't know it had gone downhill that fast for Michi it was absolutely rapid it was really that one season and then just just went 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 awry interestingly Borussia Dortmund striker uh, Erling Haaland Uh, idolised Michu as a child. Mm -hmm. Michu in response sent a signed jersey to Erling Haaland after the Norwegian's revelation, uh, which I think is quite a nice uh, thing. One of the best strikers in the world currently, idolising Michu for that one amazing season that really captured the imagination of of all of us Premier League fans. Um, Swansea, I think, were just a neutral's favourite that season. Everyone liked seeing the football they were playing, goals they were scoring, very attacking football uh, and
1: very good to see. Nice. He enters the fray for our vote. Uh, And the final nomination from me, Michael Bridges. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, 20-year-old Bridges scored a dozen goals uh, as Sunderland won promotion in 1999, which is pretty good. But he was then snapped up by Leeds United and his dreams came true, really. He he scored all three goals in a 3-0 win at Southampton. The first goal in that game showed the kind of class and nonchalance few would expect of a youngster uh, when opening his Premier League account. And he would score 19 goals to help Leeds to a third-place finish in the Premier League and a spot in the Champions League playoffs. At this point, Michael Bridges was going to be the next big England striker. He was banging them in at Premier League level at such a young age however unfortunately his contribution the following season wouldn't be so significant he suffered a serious injury and he would barely play for two years um, at at the top level after that he found consistency tough he was let go by Leeds He had a fairly successful spell in League Two with Carlisle in 2005 as he tried to get his career back on track. But really, he he never managed to make it back to the top flight, only reaching championship level for a brief period. He admitted, sadly, to suffering from addiction and depression during his long time out injured, which is a real shame and, and something that I think we should note in this conversation about one season wonders when you decline so rapidly as some of these players have it can lead to some serious mental problems and problems off the field so um, obviously we're hugely respectful of that but in Michael's case it it was definitely a a, a what might have been episode but let's celebrate that one year where he did help leads to such an incredible finish Uh, I felt he was worthy of a a position potentially in R11. Absolutely. A very good pick there, Ben. Some excellent options for
0: you to choose from. Uh, That poll will be on Twitter, at 11pod. Well, Pompey's brilliant away form. Looks like continuing here as Boubidi finds Benjani against Kasafa. Shoots!
2: Oh, that's magnificent! Two
0: goals in a minute from Pompey. And the Premier League's top scorer strikes now with a wonderful curling finish.
1: Several players narrowly missed out on the one season, Wonders 11 didn't they, Arthur? Yeah, they did. One in
0: particular for me. I very much struggled to decide who would play up front for this team uh, between Graffite and Aylton. Um, Yeah, yeah. Both just had remarkably similar achievements to to mention. Aylton scored 28 goals also in the Bundesliga as Werder Bremen won the Bundesliga. Um, So very similar picks, both worthy of mention, I thought. Yeah,
1: for sure. Well, actually, I I wasn't on the left wing back um, this time, but I may have considered Harita Ilunga if I was doing so. Had a spell on loan at West Ham and that move was made permanent um, off the back of a great, string of performances and then it really didn't happen for him um, but Harita Alunga uh, I think gets edged out by Sebastian Schemmel for the West Ham fans in this one season Wonders 11 so Ben are you going to run us through the team today? by all means yes our one season Wonders 11 in goal Eldin Jakupovic then a uh, back three Sebastian Schemmel David Wheater and Dan Egan then uh, wing backs Francesco Cocco uh, Pascal Chimbonda. In the midfield, Adele Tarabs and Stefan Schwartz. And then up front, we've got Graffite, Ben Jani and the final position is up for grabs on Twitter.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our One Season Wonders 11.